So y'all, our scripture today is coming out of the uh, first, first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And there's a really kind of interesting thing about the Gospel of Mark is that the author doesn't waste a whole lot of time jumping straight into the ministry, the adult ministry of Jesus. My, uh, Matthew kind of starts off, uh, if y'all remember, by giving us a real detailed genealogy of uh, Jesus' family history. Then he goes kind of into the Christmas story, the birth story. Luke is kind of similar. It starts off giving us the story of John the Baptist and the angel Gabriel coming to Mary and the subsequent birth story and all that. And then John begins kind of by telling us who, who Jesus is, but then he backs up some and he, uh, again, goes to, to talking about John the Baptist's prophetic ministry and leading up to the birth of Jesus and all that stuff. Mark, however, just doesn't waste any time. He, just, he kind of jumps the gun, man. He gets right to it. And he pretty much goes right into the adult ministry of Jesus. So by the time that we actually get to our scripture today, Jesus has already been born, he's already been baptized, he's already been tested in the wilderness for 40 days, and he's already called his first disciples. So verse 21 through 28 comes immediately after that calling of the first disciples. Y'all may remember that story where Jesus calls Andrew and Simon and uh, John and James, who if you happen to remember also kind of immediately left whatever they, whatever they were doing at the time, and they just took off and uh, followed Jesus without hesitancy. <clears throat> so let's look, I'm going to look at the story uh, real quick through the verses 21 through 28 and talk about an incident that occurred while Jesus was, uh, this is er early in his ministry evidently, uh, where Jesus was teaching early in the uh, synagogue. <clears throat> so starting in verse 28, when they came to Capernaum, when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and he taught. And they were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out, and they were all amazed. And they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. It's the word of God for the people of God. Now before we actually get into what I really, really want to talk to you all about today, I think we need to address the elephant in the room with this one. Uh, let's talk about this really uncomfortable subject of demons. And, and unclean spirits, as they're referred to in our scriptures. I know that this idea, this discussion about demons uh, can make a lot of us very squeamish for a number of reasons. Uh, it can be frightening. It can scare some of us. And it's kind of a topic that a lot of you would just assume to uh, avoid altogether. Uh, in all honesty, it can also be a source of skepticism, you know, especially as we're living in the 21st century where we practice the scientific method. And, and we know very much, we're very much aware that in the past there have been, uh, in past history, where people were believed to be under demonic possession when in fact they were experiencing mental illness. We're very aware of that fact also. But here's what we can avoid. If we are going to fully embrace the gospel, if we're fully going to believe the gospel, if we're fully going to believe the story of Jesus and these early disciples, and that is that demonic encounters and casting out demons were not incidental. They were not secondary to the ministry of Jesus or the ministry of the early disciples. As a matter of fact, they were a primary part of, the, of their ministry. They were an essential part of their ministry. And they were very, very, very frequent, as you guys probably know through reading the Gospels. As a matter of fact, 
Today's scripture is just the first of four incidents in the Gospel of Mark alone where a demon is cast out of another person. Simply put, here's the thing. While many of us struggle, or we might struggle to believe this idea of demons or unclean spirits, whatever you want to call them, Jesus certainly believed in them. Okay? So I don't bring this up to freak out anybody or scare or frighten anyone, but it's really an unavoidable subject when you're reading this story. I mean, it's, it's really the elephant in the room. It's the thing that jumps out to most of us. And it's something for us to be aware of. You know, even in our modern world, with all of our scientific and all of our psychological knowledge, to deny it would be to deny something that Christ himself saw as being very, very real. So that's my spiel on demons and unclean spirits. But that's not what I want to talk to you guys about in, uh, in these scriptures today. That's not the main point that I want to drive home with you. Of all the characters, and, there's, and I hate to use the word characters, but I don't know another, another word for it, really. Of all the characters that are mentioned in this narrative, in this story, you got Jesus, you've got the unclean spirit, you got the man who was possessed, you've got the uh, congregation, you got the scribes, all of these, all of these characters that are listed in the story. I want to talk about the crowd. I want to talk about the crowd that was listening to Jesus at the time. And I want to talk about us placing ourselves in the role of of that crowd today as we kind of consider this story. I want to talk about the crowd's reaction to Jesus, and I want to talk about our reaction to Jesus today. Specifically, I want to focus on one word, one very descriptive word that jumped out to me in these scriptures that I think really highlights what the crowd observed and what they were experiencing in these moments. Do y'all remember a couple of uh, weeks ago, I kind of went through a... a practice with you of how, how to go about reading more of a devotional or a more meditative type of reading of scripture. Y'all remember us going through that? So one thing that I told you is that when you're reading through scripture slowly, when you're doing it in the presence of God's spirit and you're asking God to lead you, to prompt you, to uh, you know, show, me, show me what it is you want me to, uh, to experience, to learn as I, as I go through your, your written word, I told you every now and then, you know, first of all, you want to focus on something that just pops out to you. Something's going to jump off that page. And I also told you very frequently, it might just be one word. That's what happened to me this week, because I'm going to tell you, I knew the scripture I was preaching on. I had no doubt about that. I didn't know where I was going to take it, though. I had no clue what the theme of this thing was going to be. How in the world am I going to get up at this congregation at Bemis United Methodist Church and talk to them about demons and unclean spirits and casting out and performing exorcisms and all that stuff. That's not what drew my attention this week, finally. It got to be about Thursday or Friday, actually, and I'm, I'm struggling at this point. What in the world am I going to preach on this text? And I just kept reading through it and reading through it throughout the week, and finally one word, one word jumped off that page to me like, like crazy, and it was just so, so obvious. And that word was astounded. Astounded. Verse 22 says that the crowd was astounded at the teachings of Jesus. What does it mean they were astounded? It means they were astonished. It means they were amazed. It means they were taken aback. It means that they were made speechless. So there's two things that we can read about that occur in this story that prompts this crowd's astounded or their astonished reaction to Christ. The first thing is Jesus' teachings. What he taught, but more specifically, how he taught. The scripture says that he taught as one with authority, 
and not as the scribes. Now, who are these guys that are talking about? Who are the scribes? The scribes would have been professional interpreters of Jewish law. They were the experts in the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures. In other words, they knew their stuff. They, were, they would have been your college professors. They would have been, they would, they would have been your uh, post-secondary professors, your academic guys. And they knew their stuff, backwards and forwards. You ever been around a person who talks a lot but really doesn't say anything? All right, so picture that. Um, you ever been around a person who could quote scripture left and right, backwards and forward, but their life, their overall mindset and behavior fell way, way short of reflecting the character of Christ? That's kind of, you kind of get the idea there. Jesus comes along. Jesus, who is basically this uneducated, at least in the terms of how we might consider being educated today, this uneducated, poor person, the son of a carpenter, comes into this crowd, and he is one up in these guys, seriously. These academics who knew all of their stuff, these, these ex expert interpreters of the law and of Scripture, he's one up in these guys something seriously, and they were amazed, they were astounded, this crowd was, by the way and how he taught, not as one like the scribes taught. Second thing that prompts the crowd's attention is what we, is what we kind of started off with, and that's, and that's the obvious one. That was their reaction to this exorcism that Jesus performs, right? It's the casting out of a demon from this person who was in attendance at the time. At the very command of Jesus, the scripture says, this unclean spirit obeys him and he exits this man. You know, I, I suppose that if we were here on January 28, 2024, and y'all saw me cast out a demon right here, in a man, y'all would be pretty, pretty amazed and pretty astonished as well. So you kind of, kind of get the idea, right? By the words of Christ, this demon comes out, and it, and it, and it, it takes them aback. It's, un, it's an unbelievable atmosphere. It's an unbelievable experience, unbelievable incident that's going on right here. So yeah, they are astonished. They're, 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 they're speechless with this whole scene. Um, you know, just prior to the scriptures, and I mentioned this earlier when I, when I started off. When Jesus called those four guys that I named, um, they don't even think about how they're going to respond to Jesus when he says, follow me. At least not that we know of anyway. They don't tell Jesus, well, you know, we'll get back to you. The scriptures say they dropped everything right then, right there, and they left everything they knew. They left their entire lives behind at the drop of a hat to follow this stranger that they had just met. Now, the Bible doesn't directly say it, but I have to think and I have to believe that those four guys were absolutely astounded by something about Jesus. There had to be something seriously special about this guy that would cause these people to make a decision that by all accounts was nothing short of being completely and totally irrational. Put it in a modern context. Imagine your wife or your husband, your child or whatever, whoever, friend, an acquaintance for that, for that matter. You find out they just dropped everything. They dropped their job. They dropped their family. They took off and followed this, this stranger, this prophet, that he call, as he called himself. You get the idea. But people were astounded by Jesus all the time in the Gospels. Mark's Gospel is absolutely full of these stories. It's absolutely full of these narratives where Christ completely just knocks people off their feet. And as we look at this reaction to the crowd in this account in Mark, and we look at ourselves as this crowd, you know, that, that's gathered today, us, as we're gathered today in this sanctuary, I want you to ask yourself, as, as I ask myself, are you still astonished 
are you still astounded by the person of Jesus Christ? Do you still stand in amazement of this guy named Jesus who we call our Lord and Savior? Does Jesus still amaze you? Does Jesus still surprise you? Does, does Christ's sacrifice on the cross and his subsequent resurrection for the salvation of the world, does that still infect your heart? and infect your spirit with just childlike joy and childlike thankfulness through the astounding teachings of Jesus which call us to this sold out, this sacrificial love for God and neighbor. Does that still convict you in your hearts and the way that you move, the way that we move throughout our lives? I got to tell you, church, Jesus still astounds me. I am still gripped by the words of Christ in the Gospels, those words that cause me to continually take a good hard look at myself, to take a good hard look at my motivations, to take a good hard look at my relationships, to take a look at the way that I think in general. Jesus continues to turn my world and my value systems absolutely upside down. Jesus has unended my life. Jesus seriously messed me up, folks. And I say that halfway to be funny, but there's 100% truth in that. Jesus seriously messed me up, and he continues to mess me up. All of those things that the world and all of these things that culture told me when I was a kid and told me into my early adulthood and my mid-adulthood, all these things that I was told were so doggone important, Jesus revealed to me they're absolutely worthless. Wealth, status, popularity, prestige, accumulation of stuff, useless. Jesus reminds me constantly that I am, in fact, no matter what I may think from time to time, I am not the center of the universe. I am not the most important person in the world. Jesus reveals to me time and time again that it's the people who surround me from the closest of my family to the stranger that I meet on the street, every person created in the image of God take that position. They're the ones who take priority. Jesus tells me that despite what I've been told throughout my whole life, looking out for number one is definitely not a priority, nor is it a virtue. It doesn't even make the list. Jesus tells me to live in solidarity with the people that most people would just assume overlook poor, the elderly, the sick, the imprisoned, the oppressed, the marginalized, the disabled. He tells me to extravagantly give love to those who might look different than me, those who might think differently, those who come from different backgrounds, different races, different ethnicities, different economic and social standings. He tells me to speak up for people who can't speak up for themselves, for those who don't have a voice in society. He tells me to stand alongside those people, not ignoring them, but in fact, doing whatever it is that I could possibly do to offer them support, whether that be spiritual support, financial support, emotional support, physical support, or a combination of all of those or otherwise. Jesus still astounds me, church, when I am reminded constantly over and over and over again to pray and to seek the good of those who cause me those who speak ill of me. He says, and I'm not only supposed to do that, 
I'm in fact called to go the extra mile. I'm called to go above and beyond to show those people the love of Christ. Y'all, I could go on for this with this list of astonishments, astoundments. I could, I could go on with this for the next hour. But you're getting the picture here. Jesus knocked me off my feet, y'all. And I don't just mean salvation for the sake of getting into heaven. I mean he knocked me off my feet for the way that I think, the way that I relate to people, every single thing about my egotistical, self-centered lifestyle, egotistical, self-centered thinking. He completely turned that junk upside down. And he messed me up. And he continues to mess me up. He continues to astound me all these years later. Calling me away from that ego. Calling me away from that self-centeredness. And towards that life of self-giving. Church, I'm just going to be bluntly honest with you. I want Jesus to mess y'all up too. And I hope that he does. If he has not already. If he has, I want him to continue to mess y'all up. I want him to continue to turn your world upside down, just like he's turned my world upside down. As a matter of fact, I would go so far to say that this is, this, is, this is the very heart, the primary focus of the ministry to which Christ has called me personally. I want to see people get messed up by Jesus. I want to see people's entire lives upended by the living spirit of Christ. I want to see people having those come-to-Jesus moments where we stop viewing and we stop operating in the world through the lenses of our own ego, our own selfishness, our own self-centeredness, our own worldly and cultural value systems, and we start viewing and we start operating in the world through the lens of the inexplainable, unfathomable, unending love y'all imagine what that would be like? Just for a second? Kevin, if y'all want to start easing y'all the way up here, you can, brother. Can y'all imagine, just for a second, what that might be like? What our families would be like? What our churches would be like? What our workplaces would be like? What our schools would be like? what our entire communities, Valdosta, Lowndes County, state of Georgia, United States, globally, can we possibly fathom the idea of what these might be like if all of us, all of us, those of us, I'm not talking about people who aren't Christians, I'm just talking about us, man. Those people who believe and who call ourselves followers of Jesus, who claim Jesus as Christ as Savior and Lord, what if we were just continually continuously amazed and astounded and made speechless by Jesus. Y'all, I've got my own moments of weakness. I don't doubt, I don't even portray to be something other than that. I've got my moments of weakness. But for the most part, that fire, <clears throat> that astonishment has not been extinguished. Um, it is just as strong as it was 10 years ago. And I hope it remains like that. For as long as God allows me to be on this earth, I hope it remains like that. I hope I never turn away from that. And in all seriousness, and I know I've thrown some kind of humorous stuff out there, I want that for you. I want God to mess you up. I want God to mess up our communities. I want God to mess up our church. And turn them value systems around. Turn them up in, up in them. 
So we're not guided by cultural systems. We're not guided by worldly systems. We are guided by the lens of Jesus who calls us to crazy, sold-out service and love for God and for other people. And that's my prayer for you, church, in all, in all sincerity. Uh, that's my prayer for you. That Christ will continue to infect you. That's a great word. Christ will continue to infect you with awe and amazement and astonishment.